0: Welcome to the Professional Book Nerds Podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Joe. Hi, hello. Before we dive into today's author interview, just wanted to remind y'all to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Make sure you're following us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. And of course, if you want to get in touch with us, make suggestions for future episodes, all that good stuff, you can send us an email. That email address is professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. With all that said, let's get into my interview with Krista Bilton. My guest today has written an amazing story about her life and experience of meeting her 35 siblings. The title of her new book is called Normal Family, and will be out on July 12th from Little Brown and Company. It's Krista Bilton.
1: Hi, so nice to be here with you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for being here. I'm so excited that you could take the time to talk about your book.
1: Yeah, th- thanks so much. I, I love the podcast, so... Such a pleasure to be here. <laughs>
0: I, I love to hear that. I'm so glad you're here, and I'm glad that you're listening as well. Uh, to get us started, do you mind sharing with the listeners uh, a little bit about Normal Family?
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm happy to. Um, so uh, there are three big narrative threads in the book. The first, which the subtitle speaks to, is that in my mid-20s, I found out that my father, who struggles with homelessness and schizophrenia... Had secretly after I was born um, become a very prolific sperm donor at the California Cryobank. Um, and it turned out I had anywhere between several dozen and possibly over a hundred uh, siblings, biological siblings all over the United States. So the, you know, one part of the book is sort of about me making that discovery and then all the truly wild ramifications of it, one of which being that the only reason. Um, I even ultimately discovered that I had this large biological family it was because at the time, uh, my mother discovered this, I was unknowingly dating my half brother. So that's, that's one, ha- one part of the story. And then, um, probably the larger segment of the book is about growing up with my larger than life, lesbian mother in the eighties and nineties, Los Angeles, um, she was an incredibly loving and magical woman, but also incredibly complex. And she struggled with alcoholism and drug addiction, and you know, she herself had cycled through several cults in her own life. Um, and often throughout my childhood, paid the bills through wild pyramid schemes and scams that led us to at some points living in multi-million dollar LA mansions, one minute and you know, other times not having anywhere to live. So, It's a portrait, I guess, also of what it's like as a child to grow up in that kind of instability um, where, you know, you have a primary caregiver who has sort of addiction issues. And then I guess the third and final narrative thread in the book is that it's a coming of age story um, about coming to terms with where we come from and unpacking the stories of our parents and their childhoods and secret traumas or mental or biological or spiritual struggles and then looking at the threads of how those impact our own lives and what we might be unconsciously carrying around and then finally i guess it's a book about um, asking this question of what is family so uh,
0: of course the listeners can't see it but i can't help but react like i know what your book is about <laughs> and still everything you said I was like oh, yes right <laughs> we knew this but it's it's a shocking tale and oddly enough also it, it is just uh, in so many ways no matter what thread you're breaking down is a very relatable tale especially when you hit that kind of last question of what exactly is family um such a such a large question to ask and it all kind of is defined and means so many different things to so many different groups of people just depending on relationships
1: right of course yeah you have you have your chosen family you have your biological family you have you know, the people that were around that weren't related to you, but maybe were even more meaningful. So um yeah, it's just, I, I, ho- I don't have the answers to those questions, but <laughs> of <I course>. think <laughs> the book hopefully asks some really um, interesting questions around that, that just make people think
0: about it. When you can get through each kind of thread, like you phrased it, it gives you the opportunity to pause and reflect on what those questions mean to you and how you can answer them in your own life. And I think that's a beautiful piece of this book, being able to look at your story and say, wow, this is a person who's lived through so many different things. And I'm a person who's lived through, uh, you know, uh, uh, my own version of this. How do I answer this first question? How do I look at my relationship with my parents how do I look at my relationship with people who deal with uh different sort of addictions disorders anything like that and it's I think it's it's super helpful as a as a touchstone because it's it's so different in a way that your story is so unique but I also find it just very relatable to be able to glean that piece for myself
1: Mm, yeah I, I I mean I of course, the story is wild in so many ways, yes. but I, <laughs> but I also think there are so many universal experiences in mm-hmm. it. Um, I think, you know, that's why I love memoir in general or, or even Absolutely. novels that touch on some of these themes. But, um, so yeah, my, my hope was that there are pieces that are super relatable and, and that's ultimately why I wrote the book just cause I love this genre myself and Yeah.
0: I, I'm right there with you. I'm a lover of memoirs. I've said it before. It gives me the chance to step into someone else's shoes, especially if it's something I can't relate to. That kind of wanting to be relatable is part of, or or kind of like wanting to share your story is what inspired you to share? Or how did you come about wanting to write this book and tell tell the world who you are and what your life was like?
1: Yeah, I think, I think it's been a long journey and I, it's hard for me to unpack exactly why I wrote the book. Cause there are definitely
0: different reasons sure.
1: why I wrote it. So I think I actually tried. I've been trying for, since I was 17 to write different parts of this story, of course, not, you know, finding out in my mid twenties that I had the siblings. Cause that came later, but I, I think the, the origin of me wanting to write this story was, was trying to make sense of what I was going through. And I think that narrative has like a really powerful way of just helping us process. So, Mm -hmm. um, but at that time, I think I was also still suffering from some of the effects of the craziness of what I had been through. And I don't know that I had really the insight or the perspective on what I was, you know, I was in the thick of it. So maybe in, in retrospect, that's why I couldn't finish anything. I mean, I, I, write a, a scene here or a chapter there. And, you know, a lot of that stuff wound up getting thrown away ultimately. Cause I, mm-hmm. this draft of the book I read, I wrote over the last three years, but okay. Um, I think that the second piece was, I grew up, You, know, I grew up with a lot of shame around some of the things I had been through and that that's mm-hmm. definitely a subtle thread throughout the book. So for much of my life, people, even close friends that I met didn't, didn't necessarily know any of my truth. And, um, I remember when my sister was in college, she, 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 it was, uh, maybe winter break or something like that. And we were seeing each other and she, she ran me a copy of the glass castle and she said, you won't believe it. They assigned this in class. It's our story. I mean, it's not our story, Mm -hmm. but it is. And look, she just wrote it honestly. And it was like our secret, this book, and I think I just realized, like, oh, if, you know, once I ultimately got to a place where I was honest about who I was and able to share that with people, I think even just, you know, stories like that can can have such a profound impact because you're like, oh, I don't have to be ashamed of this thing. So many other people go through this. It's just private.
0: Right. And that's a perfect parallel. The Glass Castle is... it. It's unabashed about, this is what I went through. This is how it hurt me. And finding stories like that, that's that's why, like, first I have to say thank you for taking the steps to share this kind of work. I mean, it's so deeply personal. And I, I hope that you know, or that you see that someone is going to come home from a break at some point in their life and say, hey, this is our story. You know, you you're giving a, a new interpretation of that as well.
1: Yeah, I hope so. Just cuz there you know there's so much even though I feel like we're moving forward in so many ways I still mm-hmm. think there's so much stigma around you know family members struggling with drug addiction or right. um you know family members struggling with mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um these are things people often keep secret cuz they think people will judge them or and you right. know it's so it's that you're missing out on such an important life experience when you can share your truth with other people and Realize that most people, at least the people that are worth having in your life, will be compassionate. They won't judge you for these things, but it's hard to come to that place.
0: They're going to accept you regardless of what your story is. As long as you are the person you're meant to be, they will accept you. and That's that's a hard lesson to learn at any age, especially when you're trying to journal out your feelings basically at 17 of what you've been going through to write that first iteration of this book.
1: Totally. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, it's, it's sort of a separate thread, but you know, another Mm -hmm. important thread in the book is that my mom was, you know, was gay growing up in the fifties and sixties and starting, trying to start a family in the early eighties at a time that none of her friends, not a single, you know, gay or lesbian person had started a family. She just didn't know a single one. And so like her making it up as she went along and you know the 90 i think we forget how far we've come especially on the coasts definitely and um so the book is also a portrait of you know this what was so radical at the time my mother having a kid on her own and um you know that time period
0: that is such an interesting thought i hadn't even thought of just the to to be a single parent now is it, it is seen differently in so many circumstances but still even to do what she did to set out to be a parent as a queer person as you know just someone who wants to have a child when no one in your life is doing it is still a pretty unique story
1: totally um, and imagine it in 1980 I mean
0: right where, where you yeah. have no rights no protections and and you're truly going it's I mean she was a pioneer uh, you know there was it was the wild west of what was going to happen Now, what was the reaction like from your family and from your close circle when you decided to start writing and sharing this story within, like you said, the last three years?
1: Yeah. So my mother loved the idea at first um, because it it meant sitting with her and asking her questions about her life for hours on end. And, you know, she (laughs) loves telling stories I think that she thought of it a little bit like I was doing a book report for school or something. I don't Mm -hmm. know that she fully grasped that I was publishing a book. And so when I handed her, you know, a draft of the book then began what was a long process of her being okay with it. Um, And that was tough at first, honestly. Uh, You know, we, we went to therapy over it. We, you know, she had, you know, extensive notes. <laughs> um,
0: I can only yeah. imagine.
1: <laughs> and And the notes were never, this didn't happen. It was just more that.
0: Um, <laughs> I want know, this represented a little differently. A little differently, <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, but you know, so that was, there, there was a period where that was rough and I considered pulling the book actually because mm-hmm. I care so much about my mom and we have such a beautiful relationship today. But I, I ultimately think that, you know, in many ways, the book is a tribute to my mother because she Mm -hmm. is, she is so flawed in so many ways, but also such an incredible person in so many other ways. And she ultimately did get sober and she's a great grandmother. And so I think stories about people that are, you know, not one dimensional, but are full human beings are fascinating. And, you know, I think that, I think that people will, I, I hope come out of the book, loving her at least a certain portion of them. And, uh, she's, she's, she's overcome her, her issues. And now, now she kind of loves it again. So, you know, it's a process. <laughs> she's
0: also beautifully featured on your Instagram. You can always see her being a happy grandma. Uh, you know, I like to do my research, see everything just kind of, you know, what our authors are sharing with the world. And you posted a photo where I'm just like, yep, that's a happy grandma. She's living, you know, she's living her best life now.
1: Totally. Yeah.
0: So she thought you were sitting down and she's just like, okay, cool. I'll help you make the family tree. We're just going to share some stories. And it transformed, but did you find that time together? um, You know, I know you said you went to therapy and, and it was transformative. Did you also find it to be healing as you went through kind of the story of your lives together?
1: Yes, it was, you know, I think i I think as children, we so often, even though we're living day to day with these people that are raising us, we Mm -hmm. sometimes don't really know them that well. in like a deeper sense, we know them as they interact with us, but we don't necessarily deeply understand their histories. Right. And I think, you know, so many people focus on forgiving our parents, but I think there's like another step, which is just understanding them.
0: Right. Or even getting to know them and
1: getting to know them. Yes. And so that was, that was a really beautiful process. And I think also growing up as a kid, I had worked very hard to protect my mother emotionally. So I hadn't Mm -hmm. always shared my truth with her. Um, And so it was wild having her read the story and sort of fully grasp what it was like to live with her through some of these you know harder times and 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 there were some some beautiful moments of she doesn't like looking at dark times so she sort of starts to skip over some of that but there were some times when she was like i'm so sorry that that was hard for you or yeah
0: that is so beautiful to hear though that even though it was tough for her you were both able to say like look this this is who i am i want to i want to get to know you through this and also i want you to know me it's so easy to fall into the role of of parent, um, and child. And even when at some point that starts to flip where you become the caregiver a little bit more, uh, it's nice to have that friendship first. It's nice to have something that you can touch back to and say, like, I can think of my mother as an individual and not just as mom.
1: Totally. Yeah.
0: Now, did anyone else in your family have anything to say as you were writing this?
1: Yeah. So I also, I interviewed my father extensively, mm-hmm. but that's, um, as, as you know, from reading the book, that's a, a right. tricky relationship. Um, Definitely. he, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I won't give him of a course. diagnosis, but he's, you know, his relationship with reality is strained at times. But the interesting thing about him is that when, um, reflecting on the past he's very lucid it's just sort of present when yeah so it was it was incredibly interesting comparing you know comparing what my mother remembered and what my father remembered and he you know i haven't shown him a finished copy of the book i don't know that he'll ever read it but Mm -hmm. um but it was nice to spend some time with him and hear his you know hear about his own childhood wounds and all that so then there are, you know, I, I changed the names of a lot of just the side characters that didn't mean just cause I didn't, I didn't write this book to. To you know, out people. To out people. So, you know, I sadly had to get rid of some of the amazing girlfriends my mom's had cause mm-hmm. you know, some of those aren't, those women aren't publicly out. Um, right.
0: Oh, sure. So I, uh,
1: yeah, but I didn't write the book with that intention. I, I had, I gave my parents their real names, but I changed a lot of other people and then you know, every sibling that I mentioned in the book, I had them read to make sure they were okay with it. So yeah. And my sister was fine with most of it. She, she asked for a couple of things to be removed, which didn't affect the story. So
0: I can't blame her. I know if either of my siblings wrote a book, <laughs> I'd say, Hey, I'm the one who should be writing the book first, but I'd also probably <laughs> really steer that ship.
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. Siblings, siblings, ha- but you know, she also read the book and she, she provided some amazing, she's like, wait, you forgot this? thing that mom said or this amazing story so she was also incredibly helpful
0: it's so interesting what we hold on to as as members of a family as as siblings mm. kind of in the line of things that things that really stand out to you your sister probably didn't even register but something that was super poignant to her i i love hearing that this was not to take anything away from you but a collaborative effort that there was mm input from the people involved. I mean, I just love that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I love, I love my family so much. So, and I think, Absolutely. you know, writing memoirs is such a tricky business because
0: mm-hmm.
1: you're writing your truth and you have a right to that truth. But when you are telling other people's stories that, you know, are sometimes unflattering that's right. really interesting ethical territory. And it's not, I don't have any easy answers for it. I felt compelled to write this story, but there mm-hmm. were things that I put in, you know, the interesting thing is the things that my mother had to, took the greatest issue with putting in the book mm-hmm. um, were the things that I thought made her the most endearing. So she didn't oh. want, she was completely fine with me telling all the crazy stories of her drug addiction, for example, because <laughs> she's like, I'm a sober alcoholic and drug addict. And, uh, you know, other people can relate to that. She sort of can can get behind that. But sure. she had a lot of shame around some of our economic struggles. Interesting. Um, and she had a lot of shame around her own childhood trauma and she wanted to protect her dead parents. And wow. so that is fascinating,
0: to Absolutely.
1: And I'm like, mom, if I don't tell this story, the other stuff is, you know, these, these it doesn't the make things, sense how we it doesn't got make here. Any <laughs> sense. And, and also those are the things that people can relate to. And the, the, I mean, of course the drug addiction, people can relate to that as well, but right. um, it's just so fascinating. You know, so I held her hand through that stuff. Cause I also think, you know, I don't want to give away part of the story, but my mother had some you know, some really formative trauma with her, especially her father. And I, I tell a story later in the book that sort of makes sense of some things that she had, you know, some ways she had coped with what she was going through. And um, it, that, you know, I, I I sort of held her hand and led her to being okay with me putting it in the book because I just felt that uh, it was really, it, you know... It was amazing. You know, I talked about my own shame as a child and not telling people my truth. And my mother right. had also this incredible shame that she had never even told me. And so that just isolates us so much from other people when we're not. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing that it can be. And, and what was so wild is when I ultimately found out some of these secrets that she thought were so shameful. She never wanted me to know. Right. That made me love her so much more. And that brought us so much closer and that's Absolutely. sort of the irony of shame as a feeling.
0: It, it is so ironic that the things that dehumanize us, when we, make, when we make choices that people judge or question or that we feel shame around, the part that keeps people from treating us like people are those things that we think would really actually tear us down. It is that like, this is the way I was hurt. This is why I'm reacting this way. And the the her ability to break down and and find a, a path to be willing to share with you is also what lends so much credence and so much to this to your story, to this book um also like I just appreciate that as you're writing a memoir, which if we look at like the decades past of memoirs where it was like yeah, there is a moral tightrope to walk. Most people jump off that tightrope and they walk right along the street and trample everyone with it. So I am, I am so glad that we're ushering in kind of a new era of, of honesty and earnesty and, and being mindful, you know, sharing our stories, sharing our truths, showing people how they impact us because it's, you know, once again, another way that people can think about how they say something to someone else, but um I mean just truly kudos props whatever whatever could be said to to doing this in a way that feels like it's you
1: oh thank you so much
0: yeah I can imagine I know I, I, I can't imagine the emotional overhaul of going through and sharing this how did you protect yourself while writing
1: hmm I you know, honestly, the writing of this book, you know, I have two young kids mm-hmm. and, um, and so, and, you know, other, other sort of day jobby work that I was doing to keep us afloat. So right. I really wrote this book in between things when I had time. So I don't know that, although they say, you know, when you want something done, ask a busy person and there's definitely truth to, um, you know, there were, you know, a lot of years when I maybe had much more free time and I just could not get this story down. And somehow the constraints of it just made it easier to write in a strange way, because I just had to really focus when I had those open windows. And, um, sure. but, you know, one of the things I definitely did was just, I just read a lot on my free time, as much as I could, I, I read other books that I felt, you know, I read a lot of fiction, actually, to inspire mm-hmm. the story, because one of the harder one of the difficult things about this book is that it's it is from the first person. It's my experience, but I also told the story of my parents and this backstory of how we ultimately got to all of the siblings. And so I hadn't really seen a lot of examples of, of first person and then sort of this omniscient narrator Um so, but I found them more in novels. So I was reading those (laughs) a bit. (laughs) So, you know, there were some, some storytelling challenges. I wanted it to be a page turner. So I sometimes Mm -hmm. read thrillers to see how they did that. Cause you know, the worst thing would be someone reading a couple chapters and then dropping off. And I really want people to read the book. So I worked very hard to make it you know, of course it's, it's, it's a memoir. It's all sto- true stories, but for each story that I told, there were probably 30 that I didn't tell. So, you know, plot was still something I had to think a lot about, even if it was. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: Oh, that makes no, that makes so much sense. Now I'm thinking of like, as I'm furiously flipping through, like, yes, your story is compelling on its own, even if you had just pen to page, but knowing that you were using thrillers as your building as like your foundation now it makes absolute sense. The pacing, the kind of swapping of voice, it, it was the light bulb moment for me. <laughs> As you said that, I was like, "Oh, yep, duh, that makes so much sense." <laughs> so, are you, um, other than like in this kind of uh, prep work phase, are you also a big reader?
1: I'm a huge reader. Yes, I I, I love reading. I love. Old books new books memoir biography you know psychology mm-hmm. um, old Russian literature is a favorite um, I also love audiobooks
0: uh, love yeah. audiobooks <laughs>
1: i have I have pretty intense adD and you know to be able to take a walk and listen to a 45 a hour audiobook over the course of months is a really rewarding experience so
0: absolutely without a doubt uh, that's the only way i get I, I mean i i own my house and i live alone but i still call them my chores the only way i get my chores done <laughs> is if i can put in an audiobook or a podcast and like feel like i'm being double productive totally <laughs> but also like you said busy people you got to fit things in where you can
1: yeah definitely
0: now, speaking of audiobooks, you hmm. recorded the audio for your audiobook. What was that like for you?
1: Oh, my gosh. I have so much respect for people that do this for a living. And, in fact, I did listen to your amazing episode with Julia Whalen. Um,
0: she is wonderful. And she did just for the listeners, she did send the ginger cookie recipe. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. They are delicious,
1: <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no, I, you know, they asked me if I would do it. And at first I was very hesitant Mm because no one likes the sound of their own voice, except for the very few that are given these incredible voices. Mine is not one of those, but but after listening to a couple narrators that they sent over as options, I was just like, you know, that doesn't sound like me. And so even, so I ultimately said, okay, but I have so much respect for the people that do this work because it is hard work. You're sitting in this little booth And drinking as much honey and you know as much honey tea as you possibly can and still for the first 20 minutes you sound croaky and
0: (laughs) (laughs) and and the way that those setups work I mean I'm at home in my basement but when I go into the office and even our studio which is nothing compared to the studios that narrators record in it's it's next level. It's they're tiny, they're cramped and right. You can truly hear yourself in a way you probably didn't ever want to hear yourself.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. They hear every stomach gurgle, Um, (laughs) but it was, you know, it was also, it was rewarding hearing the story back. Because mm-hmm. so often you, as you know, as a writer, you're working on this chapter, and then this chapter, once you get into edit phase, it's all over the map. And right. there's not really a chance to do it all through in a sweep. And so rereading it is um was a wild experience, actually, yeah, especially when it's your life, you know?
0: yeah, I can't imagine hearing myself tell myself my <laughs> own story, <laughs> although I think I could imagine that better than, like you said than someone else. So it felt like an authenticity choice. It was more, it was just more authentic for you to be able to tell the story than have another narrator do it.
1: I think so. And I had recently listened to a few, you know, um, Jeanette Walls did the glass castle Mm -hmm. her own one. And recently, you know, Ashley C Ford did her own. And I was just like, there is something, there is something about the spoken voice when it's the author telling the story of memoir that is, you know, so I hope that I do a good job. I haven't heard it back (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'm so but, excited to hear it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but um, yeah, that's sort of what it came from. Just that I would know the way my mom would say something or the way my father would say something. And that would be intuitive. So
0: it's another another beautiful way to look at it as well. You already have the shorthand for their conversation style. I mean, uh, from the, the narrators I've talked to in the past, a lot of times the questions that they ask are, how would you say this? How would this be pronounced? How do you feel like your character would want this? You know, and and when you have a person to it, that would probably be, I'm glad you didn't have to go through it. That would probably be a whole different other kind of upheaval of like, no, you're you're not getting, you're not getting them right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Totally, yeah. I mean, you know, had Julia Whelan been presented to me, I'm sure I would have said go for it, but.
0: (laughs) I don't disagree. I'd happily listen to her tell me about me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I listened. She did Tara Westover's book, which was so wonderful. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's just really amazing.
0: She she is truly a gift to to the audiobook community and I'm I'm glad she's on just about everything nowadays because I'm always happy when it's her name that pops up in the in the narrator description
1: (laughs) definitely yeah I had another narrator who I love who did um there are many versions of it but he's this French man who narrated Mm -hmm. um Les Mis Oh, And I proceeded to listen to every other thing he had narrated because I became so attached to his voice. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, if anyone's looking for a recommendation, that's that's one I definitely recommend.
0: Another another truth you've provided that I can truly relate to once you (laughs) once it's like you found a friend and you don't really care what the story is about. At first, because you're like, I know this person, it's comfortable, but then it also translates into finding a lot of great books in a way you never would have expected.
1: That's so true. That's so true.
0: Little Brown describes Normal Family as a riveting, nuanced portrait of unforgettable characters thrown together by chance and DNA. It's a story of nature, nurture, and coming to terms with one's true inheritance. Now let's take a quick break for our sponsor. Before you book any brunch, you pour over lists and lists of reviews. So why not do the same thing when booking a doctor's appointment? With ZocDoc, you can see real, verified patient reviews to help find the right doctor in your network and in your neighborhood. After all, finding the right doctor is just as, if not more, important than finding the right plate of eggs benedict.
1: Go to ZocDoc.com slash Pro Book Nerds and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours.
0: That's zocdoc.com slash probook nerds. ZocDoc.com slash probook nerds.
1: And now let's get right back into talking about those books.
0: How did you navigate? a cast of basically 35 plus characters, also throwing your parents into that and, you know, your own, you know, kind of family dynamic. Now, how did you manage planning out and sharing all of those stories? I know you've said that you gave each sibling that was talked about their, their portion to read after it was done, but what was the prep?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I introduced characters slowly and probably thematically so that people could keep track. Um, And, you know, the, the sibling. So I start the book with me inviting 35 of the, or, you know, I I forget exactly how many I invited, but a large group of the siblings to my house for what we called a sibling reunion. Um, Most of, most of them I had not met at that point. And I had found out about them 10 years prior but had wanted nothing to do with this large biological family. So the book starts with me sort of welcoming them to my home after this ten years, and then I go back in time to my conception and tell the story of how this all came to be. Sort of as you said, in a thriller-like way, where you know we see how how my mother meeting my father ultimately leads to him donating secretly to the California Cryo Bank, and then um, but then we we go through my many different family units as I grew up which were not this biological family, you know, because my mother had a different girlfriend every few years, sometimes with their own kids who would become step-siblings. So we sort of follow that slowly and then get back to me meeting, sort of me discovering the siblings, me dating my half-brother, and then me deciding this is not my family. I don't want anything to do with them. Mm -hmm. And then telling the story of how that changed. And I think- uh, you know, as you, as you read, um, the, the thing that really changed my mind about all of this was that I, I dis- uh, one of, one of my half sisters. So I went to this tiny art school in Florence, Italy for classical painting, um, as one does, uh, you know, at this obscure tiny school that no one has ever heard of that 30 kids, mostly from Europe go to every year. Um, much less expensive than U.S. schools, by the way. Mm. And- um, Envious of that. (laughs) And it turned out that one of my younger half sisters uh, who grew up in a completely different circumstance across the country also went to this tiny school a year after I left. And um, when she and I, so she, it's a long story, but when I realized this and she and I connected, it totally changed my view of the whole thing. First of all, because- well, first of all, it was just mind blowing because nature nurture is just wild. Right. I mean, right. she and I grew up in completely different circumstances. She had a very stable upbringing to, you know, a nuclear family. I had, you know, a very unconventional situation, less stable, and yet we still wound up at this tiny art school studying this obscure art form. And so, right. you know, that just—I used to think that nurture was all of it, and and now I'm like, oh my gosh, nature is so much. Um, and so that's that why. And then there are also some you know scary ramifications of that because my father is now severely mentally you know unwell and um so so thinking about the genetic parts of that are also you know a lot but um but there was some the the other thing that so there was this wild um coincidence Mm -hmm. that we had both gone to school together and then also and jennifer was so like me and so that's her name jennifer she's now a close friend but she was so like me in so many ways. And then also she had grown up in this tiny family where she had no siblings. And she said, you know, she described her life as somewhat uneventful and boring. And so learning that she had this, you know, this other father that she didn't know about all of these siblings, this to her was the most exciting thing that had ever happened to her. And (laughs) Her enthusiasm was just I I thought this was such a drag. This was horrible that this would happen, and she just thought it was so exciting. And I had this profound moment where I realized, oh my gosh, this is a choice. I'm choosing to see this as negative, and I could just as easily switch and see it as exciting and amazing and magical. And so you know, Jennifer, her attitude just completely shifted mine, and that's what made me open to meeting the other siblings. So back to answering your question, I, well, so, uh, so I introduced Jennifer and the story and, you know, the wild way in which she and I were even connected, which of course was also my mother's fault in a way, but, um, or her gift, uh, (laughs) accidental (laughs) gift. But, um, but I introduced Jennifer and then, and then through Jennifer, I start to introduce a sibling after a sibling. And then, you know, we start to meet them and I talk about what that psychological experience was like, and then, right. yeah. And you know, the other wild thing is just, there's an, there's another part of this book for all of the kids that are, you know, are realizing now because of the rise of ancestry and 23andMe mm-hmm. that they had a sperm donor, many of who didn't know that. And right. um, so I have a neighbor that just realized by taking a 23 me test that her dad is not her father, that she had this other parent. And then I just realized another friend also had that same discovery. And so I also tell the story of my, you know, that wasn't my story. I knew my dad. Right. Um, but for all of my siblings, that is their story. And so I also tell, um, you know, through bits, through their stories, what that is like, what, you know, what it's like to think that you're biologically related to a father you were raised by, and then realize in your late twenties or early thirties that no, you have this other genetic uh, you know, parent who, mm-hmm. you know, and what was really interesting for me is their, that their, their patterns, like psychological patterns that they each have gone through as they've made this discovery. So the <laughs> first one is they all look in the mirror and they suddenly see another face and they suddenly start thinking about all the traits that they, that made them feel like aliens in their family, because they just wow. had like for Jennifer, she had this wild spirit and she was very experimental with drugs and like her parents were not at all that way. And she was right. spiritually curious in ways that neither of her parents were. And so she's like, oh, that comes from this biological side of me. And so in a way, um, while it was destabilizing for many of the siblings, it was also incredibly validating Absolutely. of an internal experience that they couldn't understand. So that's fascinating.
0: It's so fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's something else. And it, and it's so common now with the rise of these DNA testing sites, because in right. the past, these would just be family secrets that, you know, got and passed all- down and no one knew about. And now, DNA, you know, for better right. or worse, all these secrets are being unearthed because of the, you know, so it's a new world we're living in. Um,
0: it really is. And it does all as we were saying earlier, kind of go back to shame. You know those those secrets, those those things that we kept at all. That's you know kind of the the through line that we all kind of hold on to something. But you know sooner or later, the truth will out, as they used to say in court. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and if you can look at that truth, I think that there's like a rainbow at the end, or you know pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, or whatever whatever the saying is. I think that I think there's always something more to be gained from the truth.
0: Absolutely. Living authentically will always serve you in the best way possible. Now, how has your view of what it means to be a family changed throughout this whole experience through the emotions you felt when recording and listening back to the audiobook from writing, from edits? I mean, I, I know you've challenged a lot of your beliefs along this entire process. It's, you know, this has been a, a work in progress just of yourself for so long, but as you kind of come toward the publishing date, how has your view on family changed?
1: Hmm. Well, I think, you know, I, I, guess I just have, I do, I have different buckets in my head of people that I consider to be my family. And it's, um, mm-hmm. you know, I have my close tight knit family, which is my mother and my sister, uh, my husband and children, and, you know, a couple chosen family members, I guess you would say that people sure. are not related to me but I consider my family and then I have this larger biological family um, which is I would say similar to the maybe the psychological experience of having cousins like you have a couple sure. favorite cousins and then a couple other ones that you're not as close to but if they were in town you might get a coffee with them right um, some have become really close friends you know so now I have so many now there's so many you know we find out about a new brother or sister every few months I'm having trouble keeping track of some of their names, where they live, you know, we have a, we have a big group discord. It was started as a, as a Facebook, then it became <sighs> WhatsApp. Now it moved to discord because it was easier to filter by topics. Definitely. Um,
0: <laughs> Gotta love discord.
1: You know, like when it was on WhatsApp, it was all, you know, just a group text basically. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it was a, gr- a giant group text. Yeah. So as we, you know, as more and more come na- now, now you know, I don't, I don't deeply connect with each one because there are just so many, right. but when someone has a deep urge to connect or we live in pro- close proximity or have some incredible interest in common, then those are the sort of the ones that I become closer to. But yeah, my, my view of family, um, I have so many people in my life that I love and some are biologically related to me and some aren't. And uh, it's, it's, it keeps changing my view of family, I guess, but I think That's... it's an important part of life. Family.
0: Absolutely, and I, I love the way you expressed it. It it just means what it means to you. These are people who come into your life one way or another. Either you've brought them in, or they've you know biologically they're involved. Whatever that means, uh, you know. I, I think chosen family and actually exploring the dynamic of family as the people who you know you're taking care of each other in a way that's meaningful and you know and fulfilling is is so much more important than just. The thought of duty, or Mm. you know, anything like that. So, I I love to be able to share that message that it's you can you can have your cake and eat it too with family. I promise.
1: (laughs) Well, and then I mean, and then there are complicated (laughs) challenges with family too because you know they're not all chosen. You know, my my relationship (laughs) with my father is incredibly complex, and I'm still navigating the complexity of Mm. that because you know, I was raised thinking he was my dad and then realized that he was paid to play that role and that, Right. and so what, to what, ex, what, what do I owe him? Do I owe him as a daughter or as a sperm donor? Do I, uh, you know, he's got such, such a, he's so incredibly complex as a human being. And I feel yeah. so much compassion for that, but I can also you know as if i guess it's the same to having a parent that's still active in their addiction it's like at what right. how much can you give without it really taking away from you being able to live your life and so this is something i continue to so not all of it is rosy with family you still have to you know some of it for some people you know sometimes people are put in your path and and maybe to learn through that challenge or i i don't know but it's not all, you know, it's complex family as well.
0: Complex and and ever-changing. And in your case, ever-growing, it sounds like.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true.
0: Um, that's true. Do you see yourself writing more in the future? Or maybe even breaking into narrating on your own?
1: <laughs> I don't know about breaking into narrating. Right. Um, I, although, I mean, it was super fun. Um, yeah. I don't know if, you know, I don't know if I have a Julia Whalen in me. But um, <laughs> I did enjoy it. But... Um, I would like to write more after this. Yes. I, um, there were so many stories that I didn't have room to tell in the book. So I'm still exploring what, what exactly that looks like right now. I'm just, I'm proud. I'm proud that I finally got this story out and, you know, I'm so excited to share it, but yeah, I hope to write after this as well.
0: That's fantastic. And of course, now I have to be nosy. So of course, I I would love to hear the rest of the stories. I'd love to hear more to come from that. But do you also have any desire to write fiction? I know as a big reader, I, you know, I'm just curious of like, would you write anything else? Are you going to, you know, kind of focus on your story? Or do you see just like Endless possibilities.
1: <laughs> no, I, I do. I see endless possibilities. Um, I like fiction. I also love narrative nonfiction, even the, mm-hmm. maybe not memoir. Like um, someone whose work I'm a huge fan of is Robert Colker. He did Hidden Valley yes. Road, um, which was an incredible story about um, also a family story mm-hmm. about these this this family in mid-century America who had 12 children, six of whom developed schizophrenia. And so it tells this wild family saga story, which of course I love um, family sagas. It was devastating and also had beautiful elements. So um, I love that form. He finds these true stories and then tells them in a novelistic way. And that's, de- that's something that really appeals to me. So I could I could even see branching into that type of storytelling.
0: Well, I'll be looking forward to it. I really appreciated your sense of storytelling in this, in this work. And I am super excited to see how that transforms as you just continue to write.
1: Thank you so much, Joey. It means a lot.
0: Now, before I let you go, I have a few questions just from a nosy podcaster. Uh, What are you reading right now? If anything, I know time is a precious commodity.
1: What am I reading right now? So um so some, some favorite books that I've read recently. Um, so Hidden Valley Road was one of them. I loved that book. Um, my favorite memoir in many years that I read somewhat recently and then reread was Beautiful Boy by David Sheff. Okay. Um, it's the story of, um, it's, it's a true story of David's son who went through a severe meth addiction and the experience of having your child, um, Sort of the, the feeling of helplessness of having your kids spin out into this addiction. So that was, was one of the most beautiful memoirs I've ever read. I highly recommend Beautiful Boy. Um, some other ones that I've read recently um, Stephanie Danler's Stray was a beautiful book. Mm-hmm. Um, I love her. I love Sweet Bitter, her novel. Um, lots of fun, you know, big, fast turning, um, page turning book. Let me see what else. I also have obscure interests. I'm I'm reading a biography of Abraham Maslow right now. I'm reading, I just, uh, I just got a little library. So it's been fun. Um, oh, do you know about they're, they're yeah, the so little free want- libraries? Yeah. I love it. So I, I've always wanted one. We just put one outside and That's it's amazing. been fun because I'm like going through, we have stacks and stacks of books that I've just been collecting forever. And, Ah. um, it's been fun discovering books that, you know, maybe I never read, but I'm going to put in my little library and then, Oh, I want to read that. So (laughs) I try to think of what some of, what some of the other ones are, um, but they're escaping me at the
0: moment. That that's amazing. I love that you have a little free library outside your house now. That's uh, amazing.
1: (laughs) It's great. Yeah.
0: Are you binging or watching anything right now? On TV. Um,
1: I watched Unorthodox recently. I thought that was just unbelievable. I don't mm-hmm. know. Have you seen it?
0: I haven't. I've oh heard my God. good things. It
1: was incredible. Um, it, yeah. The woman who created it, Anna Winger, she took this, I think she took a memoir and adapted it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's the story of this woman leaving an Orthodox community um, and moves to Berlin oh. and sort of how her life opens up, but she wants to be a musician. It's, it's just... Incredible. Um, And then I also watched recently Fleabag. Have you seen that?
0: Mm -hmm. That one's a great one. I mean,
1: it's amazing. Can't say no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She does family drama in such an amazing way.
0: She Um, really does.
1: Yeah. So I guess I have, those are my two recent favorite, favorite shows, I guess.
0: Perfect. And then uh, my other nosy thing, I get to travel when we're not safe at home. Uh, favorite restaurant in your area that you're going to as of late or that you like to order from?
1: My absolute favorite restaurant is Angelini. Um, mm. It's this tiny little Italian cafe style. Well, there's actually, there's a fancy restaurant next door and then they have a cafe next door to that. And, um, and, you know, I have, I have two wild boy children and (laughs) we, uh, we can sit outside and no one seems to mind when they're running around and the food's amazing. So that's probably my favorite restaurant right now.
0: Perfect. And always actually. (laughs) And always, Hey, nothing wrong with that. It's good to have one that, you know, you can always count on and outdoor seating for the kids to run around. (laughs) Exactly. Well, before I let you go, where can the listeners find you online?
1: Yes, they can find me on Instagram at Krista Bilton. Um, I have a Twitter account, but I don't use it. Okay. So That's maybe okay. not there. Um, maybe I'll start more, <laughs> but um I'm not a huge poster, but I, I do mm-hmm. post to Instagram. So um that that would be a good place and I also set up an email address for the book for readers. Um, oh, great. So that's normalfamily at Gmail. Um, just because I, I, you know, I'm excited to connect with people that read the book and resonate with it. So that's another way.
0: And I hope people take advantage of that. Uh, I mean, there is an amazing thing that comes when you receive feedback like that. And every author I get the chance to speak with just loves the opportunity to hear what people thought, how they felt, you know, what their takeaways were. So I cannot wait to hear how people start responding to this. I know I will be recommending it to everyone the moment they can check it out because like I said, wild, but beautiful.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on.
0: I super appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today, Krista. And just as a reminder, listeners, Normal Family will be out on July 12th. Let me try that again. I made it all the way through the end. It's truly been one of those days. I I
1: thought it sounded great.
0: (laughs) Maybe I'll just use it all. (laughs) Uh, But listeners, make sure you check out Normal Family on July 12th. Uh, Krista, thank you so much again for being here. And everyone, of course, happy reading.
1: Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly, and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.